This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss with Chris Palmieri, President and CEO of the Commonwealth Care Alliance, social determinants of health or the alliance's efforts to integrate social supports in their health care plans. Mr. Palmieri, welcome to the program. David, thanks for having me today. You're, you're most welcome. Mr. Palmieri's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. Very briefly on background, as has been well documented, the U.S. spends upwards of twice what other OECD countries on medical care, despite no greater utilization and with worse or similar outcomes. What explains this in part is the fact the U.S. spends about one-third of what other OECD countries spend on social services, such as food aid, housing assistance, and child support, despite knowing research shows basic measures of health care are more closely and positively associated with social service spending than with medical spending. It's hard to escape the conclusion, a 2016 Brookings paper concluded, that we should gradually be redirecting a lot of money from medical series, or services rather, to those upstream factors or social factors that are associated with health, close quote. This is exactly the same conclusion drawn by the September National Academy of Sciences consensus study titled Integrating Social Care into the delivery of health care. The NAS report concluded health care be redesigned to integrate social care into health care and that the financing of health care integrate social care spending. With me again to discuss integrating social determinants or social care into health care is the Commonwealth Care Alliance's CEO, Chris Palmieri. So with that, Chris, as background, my uh, first question usually in this type of interview, is you can give me a brief overview of the Commonwealth Care Alliance. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, we've been around uh, for almost 45 years, uh, and we've taken a variety of formats. We started in about 1974 uh, with a husband and wife that were practicing primary care in inner city Boston, focusing on populations that were really the most underserved uh, at that point in time, people with Uh, HIV and AIDS, people that had severe mental illness and physical disability looking for uh, a place to receive health care services and stay in the community and and, uh, at that point out of the the hospital setting. And uh, in 2003, uh, we took that primary care practice and merged it into what today is known as Commonwealth Care Alliance, which is a healthcare system that's been focused on uh, individuals that are covered by both uh, Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and we principally today serve uh, people through two programs. One is called the Senior Care Options or SCO program, which is for the dual eligibles over the age of 65. Uh, and then the One Care program, which is for individuals that are also dual eligible but under the age of 65. And If you're getting Medicare and Medicaid under the age of 65, it means that you've qualified because you have a severe mental illness or significant physical disability. Uh, We serve about 33,000 people today statewide. Um, And our uh, organization has grown significantly uh, over the past four years, uh, about doubled in size. 
uh, both in consumers served as well as uh, our workforce, which also totals about 1,400 people. Okay, thank you. So this is Medicaid, Medicare, duals, and you have also a, a SNP plan. Is that correct? Well, our senior care options plan uh, is the SNP or special needs plan, uh, which is the designation by Medicare. Uh, it's a, it's a D-SNP. D stands for dual eligible. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm curious relative to your last point about growth in members. How do you recruit or uh, acquire? I mean, this is a tough population for many reasons, least of which is getting them to enroll. How do, how do you do your outreach? And, to the extent that you've been successful in doubling the number of covered lives? Yes, there's a variety of, of ways that we identify and recruit new consumers. So, so first of all, before we talk about the tactics of how, you know, we've been, we've been rooted on the principle of, of providing uh, excellent whole-person health care. So I know we're going to talk about social determinants, but our, our whole platform is based on looking at a a person as, a, as just that, a person and not a medical diagnosis um, or some type of healthcare challenge. And because of that, we've gotten significant uh, brand recognition across the state. Some of it goes back to our roots, um, dating back to that one primary care center uh, that was created in uh, 1974. Um, so we have, a, we, we have a following in the state and people uh, with the, the qualifications that I described earlier um, seek out uh, our organization to be their health insurer as well as their primary care provider. Um, so there's two ways that we uh, identify and, and bring consumers in. So, so first is we do direct-to-consumer marketing, and um, we, we advertise. We have individuals that represent our health plans in the provider community and out in the marketplace and are talking to prospective eligibles uh, about the benefits of being uh, in our health plan. Um, uh, and that's been very effective. We've been the fastest growing uh, organization over the last four years. I joined the organization four years ago and was very focused on uh, increasing our footprint uh, in this state to help us achieve uh, both economies of scale, but also the bottom line fact is there's hundreds of thousands of people uh, in the state of Massachusetts that, that we believe can get better health care through us. Um, the second way that we get consumers is through uh, passive enrollment, whereby uh, the state of Massachusetts, uh, or the Commonwealth, I should say, is identifying eligible consumers and making uh, our health care services an option and uh, essentially directing folks to our organization. And if someone decides that that's not the choice that, that they really want, they can always opt out and remain in fee-for-service. Okay, thank you. Um, my question, uh, let's get in the weeds with some questions about actual delivery of care. So you were in a number of programs I saw highlighted in your materials. Uh, you do have this, um, you have a Commonwealth Community Care Primary Care Practice. I have read about various other programs, including you have a crisis stabilization units. Uh, you do medically tailored meals, uh, any number of other programs. You have a partnership with partners or collaboration with partners healthcare. But just give me an initial overview of your orientation to meeting these, pa these patients or uh, considering them or treating them as whole persons. Yeah, so it, it's, and, and those are all programs that, we've, that you described that we have created over time. So 
uh, Commonwealth Community Care uh, is what has become of that initial primary care practice, which was called the Urban Medical Group. And we now operate uh, three uh, retail sites across the state of Massachusetts, and we have hundreds of people that will go into an individual's home and deliver primary care. So it's been a mixture of both field-based uh, in-home primary care as well as office-based. But, but going back to your question, um, every individual that uh, joins our uh, uh, health plans, um, as well as every year, or if someone has a change in condition, they get what we call an assessment, which is a comprehensive analysis of, of one's well-being, not only looking at their medical needs and potentially prescription drug medications that they're, that they're taking or need to take, but also what does their home environment look like? Is, do they have secure housing? Do they have a diagnosed or undiagnosed mental illness? Do they need uh, any type of a variety of social supports? So whether it is uh, food and food security, um, or maybe they need, you know, you think about the weather we're seeing in Boston today, it's 20 degrees out. Maybe someone needs uh, heat uh, to be in a warm environment. Um, so we take into account all of the factors that would impact someone's health and well-being uh, when they join our, our organization. Um, and by doing that, we assign uh, to them an individual that works with us and for us as their navigator, someone that's going to join them on their on their basically their life journey. It's not just their healthcare journey, and that individual helps them coordinate their care. It helps them identify goals that the consumers um, want to try to achieve, um, big or small. Um, and through that whole process, where our, our objective is to get the consumer engaged in the process of of receiving good care, engaged in uh, being concerned and responsible about their health and well-being. And that we build trust through that process. And again, uh, a lot of our consumers have in some way or another, unfortunately, been left behind in the past by the healthcare system. Um, and we try, to, we try to gain that trust so that people can feel confident that their needs will be met. Um, we also talk a lot about uh, site of care. So one of the things that's critical to us is to try to keep folks from going to the emergency room if they don't really have to go and to receive uh, home-based care. And, and that's largely because, uh, one, we want to make sure that the people that really understand our consumers' conditions are the ones that are providing care for them. Uh, and two, um, oftentimes when, when consumers with the profile we're describing, which are sort of super users of the healthcare system and have other comorbidities and complexities, they oftentimes go into the emergency room and they find themselves getting admitted uh, to a hospital bed for potentially a, a, a situation that could have been mitigated in the community. Um, and, and all this, again, goes back to the origin of the fact that we have created this approach and have these game plans and the consumer uh, trust. That's very helpful. Thank you. So a more or, uh, comprehensive assessment uh, the use of navigators, and then you made mention of self-management and providing self-management support. Just let me ask about the navigators. I'm guessing are these uh, are these these are nurses and or social workers who who makes up the navigation role? So it's it's a variety of of, of disciplines. So we do use and employ nurse practitioners, uh, nurses, licensed social workers. 
But then the navigators that I was describing, we call uh, HOWs or health outreach workers. Uh, and these are folks that are educated, but not necessarily cl clinically educated individuals that know how to route someone through the healthcare system and get the things uh, accomplished that someone needs to get accomplished both in their healthcare, but also in their life so that they're going to lead, lead a better life. And, and on that interdisciplinary team um, does exist the professional disciplines, whether it's a ther physical therapist or a nurse practitioner or the consumer's primary care provider or a behavioral health professional or a pharmacist if someone is taking uh, medications. And, and, and most of our consumers are taking you know, many, many medications, six or more uh, medications uh, a day. So, so we bring together this interdisciplinary team and this health outreach worker is one of the individuals that is sort of the eyes and ears for the team out in the community and inter interfacing with, uh, with the consumer. And, and again, we really believe in this face-to-face -face approach. It's, it's really intimate and really valuable. And, and we, don't, you know, we don't do a lot through being the organization that's behind the telephone in a call center. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a part of our organization, but it's not, it's not the centralized part in, in any way. So more high-touch care is what I think would be the uh, phrase. I'm, I'm curious, your, since you have duals and a special needs plan, uh, the median average of your uh, patients, you know, these are older uh, patients, correct, generally? Well, they are. We break, we break the groups into two cohorts. So of the group that is in the SCO, or Senior Care Options Plan, which is designed for people 65 and older, right. The average age uh, in that group uh, uh, of there's over, you know, 10,000 people um, uh, is roughly 80 years old. Um, and then the group that is under the age of 65, so 21 to 64, and that's the one care program, uh, that age is, 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 in, is around 50. Um, uh, so uh, when, you, when you sort of net both of those out, it would give the appearance of a younger Mm -hmm. Population, but that would be misleading. Right. Uh, so that's why we look at it sort of through those two those two lenses. Okay, thank you. You mentioned um, care is provided uh, both in a in a clinical setting, and then you do some home care. Um, you did start piloting in 2015 a mobile integrated health program. Could you tell us a bit more about that? I think that approach is still growing in in frequency. No, I'd be happy to. So, you know, one of the one of the bright spots about our organization is that we we have many practicing and vibrant and curious physicians and clinicians. And in 2000, and actually goes back to 2013, um, some of our lead physicians were uh, looking at the reasons for people being admitted to the hospital, and they were concluding that people really could have been treated and served in the community. And, and instead, what was happening was that people not only were going to the emergency room, getting sent up to a floor in the hospital, but oftentimes being discharged in a worse condition than they arrived. Medications were changed, their care, their, their care management relationship was getting disrupted. And our physicians at the time said, there, there must be a way we can, we can intervene. And, and what we piloted was the opportunity for the, the patient to actually call their care partner or health outreach worker when they had a escalating condition that they thought as a consumer 
would require them to go to the emergency room. And we piloted sending out highly trained paramedics that were trained on our protocols uh, for advanced care in the community, and we trained the, the paramedics on um, how, to, how to manage and, and treat both the geriatric population, but as, but as well a population that could have significant behavioral health challenges or physical disability. And we, we piloted this, and we, um, we learned that through this experiment that about 85% of the occurrences that historically were going to the emergency room could be avoided and treated in the community. Uh, at the same time, we learned that for that population, there was not a, a, a subsequent trip to the hospital within 72 hours, which is usually the, the period of time where if something's not been, not been resolved, the recurrence is that someone will go to the ER. And at the same time, there was a net promoter score of 99, which means that 99% of the time, the consumer would refer the service to a friend to use. So it was a, it was a remarkable success. And we've been, we, we were piloting and measuring it and perfecting it. And it really became a, a, a real program uh, towards the end of 2015, and then by 2017, we started to evaluate whether we could commercialize it and, and offer it to every one of the subscribers that were an enrollee in, in CCA's programs. And here we sit now in 2019, the program is, is serving about half the state and by early next year, we will be statewide, and this program will be eligible for all of our consumers. So it's been a remarkable success. Great, thank you. Let, let me go to one other, ask you to highlight one other, and that's uh, um, medically, uh, your medically tailored meals program. This was discussed in a April 2018 Health Affairs uh, article that uh, several of your uh, staff co-authored. Uh, this article begins by noting food insecurity is associated with $77 billion in excess health care expenditures each year. Uh, and, of course, we do know uh, it's fairly pronounced 13% of households report uh, food security uh, uh, problems. And we do know uh, insecurity is associated with poor health and increased uh, big-ticket health services explaining the uh, excess health care expenditures annually. So could you explain uh, how you're conducting or running or managing uh, this meals program? Yeah, so this is a really good one because one of the things that, you know, obviously we want to provide food security to, to anyone that is vulnerable, and that's really critical for us. We went further to say if we're providing the security of giving someone food, if we actually took the meals and tailored them to an individual's diagnosis. So in other words, if someone is a diabetic that requires a low sodium diet, for example, um, should we tailor the meals and is there potentially a, a, a positive impact on doing that? Um, and what we learned and, and was published in the study you're describing is that providing just a meal for an individual, there, there is there's, it's a, it, it, there's, there's, there's not a return on that investment other than to get someone the, the security they need with the food, which um, from, a, from, a, from a social perspective and social responsibility as well as a program perspective, it's absolutely the right thing to do. 
if we can go one step further and tailor the, 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 the food to someone's medical diagnosis, which obviously takes a few extra steps in coordinating uh, the care plan with the meals, then there's also a positive impact on that individual's health care costs. So, so that becomes a scenario whereby uh, we, are, we are aligning with the person's clinical needs and at the same time creating food security for them. And the program is, is not only covering its costs, but it's saving money in the long run. Right. The conclusion of that article said that uh, this severance showed promise in curtailing the use of selected costly health uh, services for uh, dual eligibles. So exactly your point. Um, we could run through, uh, I did mention you run these, uh, I found interesting, on behavioral health matters, these crisis stabilization units. Again, you're this ICMP plus uh, program where you take the highest risk patients from partners health care and, and care for those any number of others, but I do have to sadly get in the question of financing, of course, always relevant, obviously. Um, how social insurance is it known or noted for paying um, providers generously? So how are you managing integrating health and social care uh, under your financing limitations? That's a great question. I mean, first of all, uh, Massachusetts has been a pioneer in this concept of creating the, the reimbursement structure that aligns both Medicaid, which is the state's uh, health care spending, with, with Medicare, which is the federal government's health care spending. Massachusetts has been a pioneer in this. I mean, the SCO program was launched in 2003 as an, as an integrated uh, de demonstration that combined the financing. So, um, so Massachusetts has been a pioneer. I think the, the folks that, that we are serving through these programs are individuals that uh, would, would potentially be costing more money and receiving uh, a lower quality of health care as well as health and well-being if they were in fee-for-service alone. Um, because, again, we are reducing the avoidable uh, trips to the emergency room and the hospital, which are very costly health care occurrences um, we are able to to our approach looks at the entire person so that we are able to to you know essentially in, in a lot of these instances spend very small dollars on on food and you know heat security or if someone has COPD and needs an, an air conditioner I mean again you're talking about the decision to spend a couple of hundred dollars to provide someone an air conditioner and avoid you know, what could be a $10,000 admission to the hospital because they have someone has trouble breathing in the warm weather. So we've been a pioneer. We've had that flexibility. We do have to continue to demonstrate uh, to the state and federal government that there is a return on that investment. Um, we have to live within the rates. Uh, we use the traditional Medicare Advantage rate-setting methodology, so we're using mainstream risk-adjusted individualized rate-setting methodologies, um, and that aligns with the state's Medicaid rate-setting, which is a, a multifaceted a, a multi uh, rate cell uh, based on someone's um, conditions. Um, so we've, we've been able to demonstrate that we can live within the, these premiums uh, and at the same time 
you know, the last three years in a row, CCA has received the highest uh, uh, rating of consumer satisfaction based on the CAP survey in its One Care program, and we've been receiving four or four and a half stars from the CMS Medicare Advantage quality rating system. So, so it is providing this robust health care and access to whole person care that I described throughout the podcast, um, but being fiscally responsible and creating and delivering a product that the consumers are finding very, very beneficial. Okay, thank you. I, my, my last question is I was intrigued and interested by reading a bit about this uh, program, Winter Street Ventures, which I yes. uh, understand is basically a skunk works for uh, developing, accelerating, and, and scaling a care innovation. Can you, uh, I found that particularly intriguing. Could you provide an overview of that activity? Be happy to. So Winter Street Ventures was my uh, brainchild creation in early 2016. Um, I'd, I'd only been at the organization for about five months and uh, learned about the wealth of uh, entrepreneurs that were coming through CCA's doors to learn more about our populations and had thoughts and ideas and um, solutions to solving very difficult healthcare problems that we were facing every day. And, and there was a few consistent themes that we realized, one of which was the entrepreneurs were short on funding. Uh, they didn't have uh, a think tank to align themselves with to learn more about what healthcare looks like on the front lines, either as a, a provider or a health insurance company. Um, and they didn't have uh, a willing audience to test their products with. And, and we happen to have all three. So uh, we launched Winter Street Ventures, which is exactly what you accurately described it as, David. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a ventures accelerator that's putting, you know, very small capital dollars uh, uh, to work, uh, but, but is helping spawn uh, entrepreneurs and ideas um, around solving the challenges that that we're facing every day. And, and just to give you a, a very brief example, um, we invested in a company uh, that uses uh, technology to create a proactive voice environment uh, using the Amazon Alexa, whereby right now, unless you say, hey, Alexa, the, the, the device will not respond to you. And this software uh, allows that to be proactive, meaning that Alexa will start talking to you before you have to use a wake word. And that is really uh, brilliant for us because we have so many individuals that are under our care that we need to check in on every day and, 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 and figure out if, they're, if, they've, if, they've, if they've woken, if they've had food, if they've taken their medications, if they're aware of an upcoming health care appointment. And this technology is, is fully customizable per person and can really align with one's fluid care plan and and, um, and it can sort of run in automation. And if someone responds, you know, for example, if, if, the, if, if Alexis says, uh, hey, David, did you take your medication today? And you say, no, I'm not taking it. Immediately your care manager or your care partner that I talked about earlier will get an alert. You need to check in with, this, with, with your patient because he's not taking his medication hmm. or whatever, whatever that negative response may be. So it's just one example of something that, Historically, that would be four or five outbound phone calls that we would have to make and using some type of robo-calling 
methodology, and this is a much more intimate approach that we can we can push out into the community for less than a dollar a day. Interesting, interesting. Thank you. That's not this life pod I read about, is it? Or that's something else? It, that's life pod. That okay. is correct. That is that, the product I just described is is life pod. Okay. Thank you. Well, it's a very interesting conversation, Chris. Sorry, we're we're at about our time. Uh, I'll of course. Uh, give you um, the last word, what would you like as a summary comment to make? Well, first of all, I, I appreciate your um, your interest in our organization. We um, we believe that our purpose is to lead lead the way in transforming our country's health care for individuals with you know what we describe as the most significant needs and and we've we've done this. Uh, for a very long time in Massachusetts, and we believe that the type of care that that this state has pioneered is a pathway for uh, a good health care platform for the super users that we're finding uh, being paid for by the taxpayers. And there are methodologies like what CCA is doing that can provide someone a better health care experience with the highest level of quality at a lower cost than than the current setting that they're receiving their services in. So we think it really is a pathway to solve a lot of the challenges we have uh, in this country um, with a specific uh, population and demographic. Okay, thank you so much, Chris, for this overview of your programming. I wish you every success and appreciate your time today. Thank you again. Thanks, David. Thank you for your time. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.